Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. definitely know which is the mystery other place where our podcast is where is it where where i mean i've we've been wondering for so long we put the podcast all over online sometimes people put it other places for us right like like there's these other things that give you podcasts that it just goes into i don't know how that works it goes into the the tubes of the internet yeah yeah so you can get any like podcast gadget we're also on the pinterest Hmm. are you are you a pinterest user at one point I was doing some fun, like in the episode 60s, I was having fun with the background images or the images that we used to share them. And I was like, oh, that might look really cool on the Pinterest. But I had never really figured it out. So I signed us up for it, but I never did anything with it. If anyone out there wants to be our Pinterest like promoter, the pay is terrible, but the rewards are internal and measurable because you can't measure it with money because you don't get any, right? the knowledge that you did a good job so i haven't used i was on pinterest for a little bit i tried it out you know i've researched social media and so i feel like i have to try out stuff and it's funny like you know now as i've the longer i've researched it the more like i'm mad at social media and off many of the platforms Um, i've kind of felt lately like i need to get back on them just to see what changes they've made Pinterest would be, I'd be interested to see. I know that educators are on Pinterest, you know, sharing resources, sharing lessons. I should probably check it out, see what's going on there. I know when my, when my wife tries to plan out like a room, she uses Pinterest and she get, goes to like all the different websites and she tries to put like, oh, what our colors are. And so we have like different rooms. Apparently that's how someone found out we were pregnant at one point. Wow. Uh, that was awkward. Yeah, it's, by the way, that's like the scary side, right? Social media, like you look at specific stuff that goes to advertisers and they predict that you are now having a child or you're like, you know, have an illness or something like that. And they start marketing stuff to you or selling that data to health companies or ah, that's why I'm off to lots of social media. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of resources online and we, I think we've benefited. I mean, you and I are both kind of co-leaders of SS chat and have participated in that for years. And we have these chats mm-hmm. weekly. And I felt like the resources shared there are high quality. And I've used a lot of them in my class. Yeah. yeah. And no, I, I think it's because I know a lot of those are committed teachers, right, who right. are tweeting because they really care and have experience and are looking to learn with other people. I found some great stuff on SS Chat. It's so much better than finding it on your own, not knowing what really how people used it, or just like someone sending you a link, like getting that um, someone's perspective on it, I think is very helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good for things to come from people you know and trust a little bit, right? I, I know one of my favorite resources, I just the first thing that popped in my mind was that I think we had, it was either an economics chat, I can't even remember what the chat was on, but somebody recommended the Planet Money t-shirt, 
the little oh, series yeah. they have. I remember. Oh my gosh, it's and it's been so great to use in my elementary class because it's like one of those things you can be really quite curious about. Where did my clothes come from? And it's just so if you've never seen it, we'll add it to the show notes. The Planet Money, like little how was my T-shirt made series they have. It's like a 15 minute video and it like goes through the whole process. But it, it brings out some really important social studies topics that are in the curriculum. But then also one of the most important ones is about you know, labor rights and conditions and, and developing an awareness around that. And so that's an example of like a high quality resource that I think could really help work with students on stuff and make change in our world because we were all concerned and, and wanted to understand those issues better after, you know, using that resource. But I do, there's a difference between SS chat where we kind of get to know a lot of the people on there. I mean, even when someone new is on SS chat, we're kind of like, who is this person? And then they have to like, yeah, you know, a little bit of like getting to know you, yeah. getting to know all about you. So there's there's also, you know, you have this influencer culture and you have like influencers on social media and all these for health issues and all these other things. You have them for teachers too, right? Who gain popularity and literally market like their stuff and their sites become good. But I don't always know. Does that mean they have high quality stuff? I think that's important to think about. I don't know them. So I, I feel like I want to develop a relationship with them, but they're probably too popular to want to know me. Once, once you're an influencer. Then I'm in. Sure, you're in. Where I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so I think what we're trying to talk about today is is the places where we find resources online, how we think through those issues, and we have two excellent guests that we're really happy to have with us today. So we would like to welcome to the podcast Jennifer Gallagher and Elizabeth Bellows. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us on. We are thrilled you are here. So. Before we go any further, how is it that you find out where neat things are or what neat stuff is? So I think as of late, since we have started engaging in what Katie Swalwell and Katie Payne created on Facebook for us, the Critical Resources for Elementary Social Studies Teaching Facebook group has been my go-to wealth of resources. I bookmark a ton of things there that I don't have time to look at at the moment. And so whenever I start planning a new semester, I go to those bookmarks and sort of refresh my memory about conversations that were had months before. That's one place that I go. So if I have a specific thing I'm looking for, like I really want an economics resource because I want to spend some time on that in my methods course and I feel like whatever I've been doing is a little stale, or maybe, you know, I want to know if there's anything new out there. I feel really comfortable in that community to ask questions of folks because I know that the people that engage in that group sort of have the same aims and purposes that I do in terms of being critical and innovative with the resources that we're looking for. So you're looking for like-minded colleagues who, who challenge you or uh, that's, how, that's how you find out neat things. Sure. Yeah, that's sort that, of my go-to at the moment. That is a great Facebook group. I was a member of it. It's actually, I've stay, I've decided not to do Facebook anymore, and it's one of the things I miss, one of the few. Facebook yeah. has become more professional than personal, mm-hmm. actually, in the past couple of years. I spend a lot more time in having professional conversations on Facebook than I do personal. So I find that whenever I'm trying to take a social media break, it's the professional activities that keep trying to bring me back in. When I want to take a break from social media, I will find myself wanting to connect with that former student or that former colleague. And it's that's always the uh, thing that brings me back into social media is those professional activities. 
I think it was actually Michael Corleone that said, every time I try to get out, my family brings me back in through their cute <laughs> pictures of dogs or whatever. I might have misread that movie or I might be misremembering. Before we go any further, do you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, my name is Jenny Gallagher. I'm an assistant professor at East Carolina University. I got, uh, earned my PhD from Iowa State University in 2017, so I'm fairly new in the tenure process. I was formerly a seventh grade social studies teacher in Colorado for many years before I pursued my PhD. Where exactly is East Carolina? Because I know that that's not a state. That's not a state, I know, and it's very confusing to people. Uh, East Carolina University is in Greenville, North Carolina. There's also Greenville, South Carolina. It's in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, about 90 miles east of Raleigh, near the coast. Well, it's not that bad. There's other universities that claim they're a state, like Coppin State and Alcorn State, and those aren't definitely not states, and they actually say that too. So we, we need to address this problem, but maybe that's a different episode. I'm Elizabeth Bellows from Appalachian State University, and I'm located in Boone, North Carolina, which is in the northwest region of North Carolina, bordering Tennessee and Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, and my graduate work was done at the University of Texas, and I, I started my work at Appalachian in 2013. So I'm an associate professor there with tenure, yay, and I teach uh, social studies education courses. I also am the Inclusive Excellence Faculty Fellow for my College of Education, and I teach in our Leadership and Educational Studies program in our doctoral program. So tell us about what's some of the work. I'm, I'm, the stuff we're going to talk about today, I'm assuming, comes out of your work with teacher candidates. But what's some of the work that you've each been doing in the field? So I have been the sole instructor of our secondary social studies methods course for the past seven years at Appalachian State. So that's mostly teaching the methods course to history majors who want to become high school social studies teachers which I love. However, most of my research happens in elementary. So I do elementary methods as well as middle grades methods. So I kind of do a K-12 span of social studies ed in my work. Recently, I've been working with Erin Bodel, who's at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And we've been looking at the identity of pre-service teachers in terms of self-identified white suburban Christian um, pre-service teachers and sort of how that colors and shapes the things that they do and the curricular decisions that they make and how pre-service teachers are looking at their role in terms of missionary work in public schools and sort of troubling that notion. So that's kind of where we are on that project at the moment. I have a soapbox I get on, on that very topic with my students. Because I think it's really important teachers see themselves as professionals. And because when we see it as missionary work, we don't demand much from the profession and we create a profession that's not worth staying in. So I always tell them, you know, you know, if you don't stay till nine o'clock without extra pay, maybe sometimes you're creating a situation where they'll start paying people to stay till nine o'clock at a sporting event or another event. And that'll be something, a job that people want to have. But yeah, we've been, there's a, Dana Goldstein's book, The Teacher Wars, I think goes into that missionary kind of lens and how that's been part of the profession since the feminization of the profession in the, in the 1800s. So that's a, that was a mini version of my, my soapbox I get up on my students, too, about seeing themselves as professionals and standing up for their labor. 
Right. We sort of trouble the notion of um, teaching as a calling because it sort of mirrors that, you know, calling to preach or calling to, to mission work. And so we were just troubling that today on our first day of class, actually. Now, I'm interested in largely in how inquiry practices can support social justice goals within social studies at both elementary level and secondary level. And most recently, I'm starting a project where I'm interviewing teacher elementary social studies teacher leaders, because I think that one of the things I really hope to do in my elementary methods class is to support the development of social studies advocates as teachers, so teachers who are willing to advocate for the subject, to make space for the subject in their classroom, to provide professional development at their school for social studies. And so one of the things we want to find out is how elementary social studies teacher leaders are finding um, pathways to do that kind of work within their, their context and what constraints that they're also coming up against in that work. Because we know social studies is largely marginalized. And I think we've known that, you know, in higher ed for a long time. However, I think our best bet to, to fighting against it is to help develop teachers who see themselves as advocates for the subject. How's that going? We've just started the process. So we're just starting to uh, recruit the participants. So I will we, tell you soon, hopefully. Yes, we look forward to hearing all about the social studies advocates. In the elementary setting. So we appreciate all the work you're both doing. And today we're having you on specifically, though, because you published in social education. So congratulations on your recent publication. Thank you. Thank you. So the article is titled Pinning with Pause, and pinning is in quotes, supporting teachers' critical consumption on sites of curriculum sharing. All right. I originally thought it was Pining with Pause, and it was about Chris Pine. <laughs> and I was very confused about the whole thing. That's why I should do a closer read. It is it is focused on elementary, and I think kids are interested in pine cones, or at least throwing them. That's my next project, actually. That's the next one. Throwing pine cones at Chris Pine. Pining with oh pause. God. Yes, pause before you do that, kids. It hurts him. He has feelings. <laughs> Can you tell us about this article? Sure. So this article is actually one article in, in many manuscripts that we're hoping to write about this project. We were really interested in the types of resources that teachers were finding on Pinterest and Teachers Pay Teachers and other sites that we're calling sites of curriculum sharing for a couple of reasons. One was we, we teach elementary methods of social studies and we are finding that our students were consistently going to those places to find resources and some of the things that they were finding, we would many of the things that they were finding in those places actually were not what we would consider powerful or meaningful social studies. And the second, there was one particular case that we were, were was really inspirational for us, and that was the case of the QU wedding. One of our former teachers, I believe it was Elizabeth's former student, posted on social media that she had participate or had a QU wedding in her class, and so it. it was then posted to Crest, and which is the site we were talking about earlier. And we were kind of um, a little mortified at what we saw. It was students dressing up as bride and grooms, queens and quarterbacks. It was very gendered, very um, heterocentric. And we were really concerned that this was the type of social studies, or it was actually a literacy lesson that was really spreading like wildfire across these sites of curriculum sharing. Wait, do you mean the, the letters Q and U? Yes. Yeah, so it, it's a very simple lesson to teach kids about. In most English words, a Q goes traveling with a U, right? So sometimes 
you sort of let the letter Q and the letter U be personified, right? And so to show that they connect with one another or their friends or whatever. And in this particular case, kindergarten teachers were taking this pretty simple lesson of the Q and U always going together, which first of all, isn't always true, right? There's exceptions to that rule, but they were taking it to this crazy level of marriage. And so they were marrying the Q and U to show that they were always together forever, which again is problematic, right? The idea that marriage is forever. Right. And also the U does other stuff. Oh, Or is the U just like, oh, man. So we started this project probably um, in 2016, just really looking on the Internet and trying to soak up as many of these instances that we could find. So kindergarten blogs, um, and then you would have YouTube videos, like a local news channel might go out to the school to like film this and talk about it. And so the principal would act as the efficient. There would be an aisle in the cafeteria or the gym and there would be, you know, invitations to the wedding and there would be a reception with gifts and a party and a cake and all of this to, to like perform this mock wedding. And so typically there was a boy who dressed as the Q and a girl who dressed as the U if you look now, since we started finding the QU wedding, mock wedding online everywhere, you can now go onto Amazon and there are actual children's books that can be purchased about the wedding of Q and U. And so sometimes I believe Jenny helped me out here, but I think there was one where the story was like the U could, she couldn't speak until the Mr. Q came along, right? What's, but use like a proper letter on its own. <laughs> it's Q that's dependent. Or maybe it was the Q who was the female and the U, you know, was the male who gave her voice. You know, it was something very problematic like that. It's like in, it's like Ariel in The Little Mermaid when she gives up her voice for the man. Why would she do that? They just <laughs> met. Yeah. And she has a lovely voice. It, agreed. Did she not write? Yeah, there's several dilemmas in Little Mermaid that need to be worked out. And this wedding, which feels like... Can I just throw out the word creepy? Like, this just, like, is, feels very, or weird. Is it not just weird? Is it weird just to me to, like, put on this kind of, like, event with young children? First thing with so much, so many normative assumptions built into it about about gender roles and the things you all are bringing up. But it's also just, like, I don't know. Every time I've heard of, like, a, any kind of mock wedding like this, it's terrible. Like the state, I'm from Oklahoma, and the state of Oklahoma, upon its like inauguration, had like a white person and then a white person dressed as an indigenous person, Mary, as a way to show the unity between like Indian territory and the white people who are settling it. Obviously problematic. And I've so I've yet to hear of a made up wedding where that was a good idea. Well, and if you want to think about a wedding ceremony as, you know, away so we're, if we talk about consummation like we're also sexualizing children right in this way so what happens after the wedding of q and U? you know lowercase letters <laughs> so exactly that was our exact kind of response to this was you right and not only was it problematic for all the reasons you just talked about, but it, it puts the students in really awkward situations. One news article wrote about how 
um, the teacher was referring to how, to how exciting and fun it was so much that one groom even stole a kiss from the bride and she started crying. And isn't that so funny and memorable for the kids? So lot, lots to unpack um, We were really concerned that the teachers were not that we're putting these on, we're not really seeing any of that. And they were really just seeing this as a, as a literacy lesson, but yet there was a lot of social studies going on in it. And it was really problematic social studies. And then I think one thing we decided to do, we posted the, what we found on this kindergarten blog about this in the Crest group. And so not only, you know, were we shocked, Katie and Jenny and I, but then our community right, of like-minded scholars were also astonished and, you know, sort of couldn't believe what was happening here. And so we decided as a group of three to investigate this a little bit further. And I think the next step was that I showed the blog to my elementary pre-service teacher, sort of without any context. I just sort of put the blog up and I was like, scroll through this. What do you guys think? And honestly, their first reaction was just, oh, how cute, right? And so we sort of draw from the work of Michelle Bommel, who asked that question, is it cute or does it count? And so our teachers were looking at this blog and thinking, oh, that's such a great idea. And so not only were our pre-service teachers finding the resource cute, but they were finding a wealth of resources on Pinterest to choose from. And then finding prepackaged materials on Teachers Pay Teachers. And so then it, we became aware that teachers are making money off of selling these prepackaged problematic resources. At least those teachers don't see themselves as missionaries. They're out to make a profit. <laughs> Which is, that used to be on my Twitter handle, became a teacher to make a profit. Let's say that, I'm here for the money. Admonish teachers for wanting to, um, you know, make money off of the things that hmm. they create. We just want folks to be critical sure. of what they're consuming. Right. And hence, I think that's... Hence, pinning with pause. So what have you taught teachers to do in these situations where you're... And I'm sure there is a lot of problematic lessons online. I think I did do a cursory search one time around Thanksgiving, and it was just like, it was bad. Like, it was just all problematic stuff, everything I saw. So, so what, what method have you all come up with for helping them to, yes, pen with pause? Yeah, so we went, we have done multiple rounds of trying to come up with some tool that we could provide our pre-service teachers and also in-service teachers to help them be a little bit more critical when they're consuming on these sites. And so within the social education article, there is a pinning with pause checklist that we ask them to, if it's an idea or a resource that they are grabbing from one of these sites of curriculum sharing, they ask themselves questions or they decide to use this in a classroom. And the, the sections of the checklist are drawing from a lot of different types of critical literacy, including um, some disciplinary thinking. So we ask the, student, the, the teachers to ask themselves questions about attributing it to a purpose. So is this activity resource useful or supportive of a learning objective or inquiry question that you have? Um, does it require critical thinking? Is the purpose supporting global democratic citizens? And do the ends justify the means? So we're finding often that the, the really extravagant learning activities, such as the QE wedding, but there's many other out there, that are often shared a lot on Pinterest or, or Teachers Pay Teachers are not necessarily the types of activity that we want teachers to put a ton of effort into. To teach that Q and you go together 
does not necessarily require you to do 20 plus hours of wedding planning in your classroom. <laughs> so kind of coming up with, you know, does this count? Does this have a good purpose was the whole first section of that checklist. The second section was about reliability. So do we know that this resource comes from credible sources? Is the author have expertise? Is it, and importantly, are the representations of people within the source nuanced and authentic? And is it up-to-date information? So the second part was reliability assessment. And then the third part was judging the perspective. And this is where we really felt like the multiculturalism needed to come in and in judging the curriculum resources that teachers were using on these sites. So does the content reflect my students' cultures or contexts? Does it give my students windows into new cultures? Does it help my students question dominant ideas about what is normal or good? So we're drawing from um, Kevin Kumasharo there about kind of troubling normals, normalcy. And lastly, does it um, make sure that this activity resource or idea will not harm students? Because that is, we did a content analysis of the QU wedding resources that we found online. And we one of our findings was that this actually harms students who are in the classroom and are participating on this for a number of reasons or could harm them. We asked teachers to answer these questions with yes, no, or maybe, and then consider the resource overall. If there were enough questions that they answered yes to, then maybe this is a resource that they should use. If, if there weren't as many questions that they answered yes to, maybe they should consider how to modify it to make it more justice-oriented. And then if there were no questions that they were answering yes to, that this is definitely not a resource that they should be using, no matter how cute or fun it might be. So I was going to add on um, that third section where we're really looking at judging the perspective that I've been thinking a lot since we wrote this article about Bettina Love's work and how she talks about spirit murdering. And so I think as I use this tool this semester, we're going to sort of couple it with that work and really think about what it is that we're doing to kids when we use resources such as such as this, you know, that aren't critical, or if we aren't critical of our resources, what is it doing to our students in our classroom? You know, are we celebrating their spirit? Are we drawing out their culture? Are we giving them windows into new worlds? Or are we instead forcing something upon them, murdering their spirit, you know, silencing their voice by doing these things? I think about, there was a story in the news recently, there was a boy in school who was recently adopted by his two dads. And do you guys, do you remember this story in the news? And there was a substitute teacher who sort of admonished him. They, they were supposed to say like what they're thankful for. And he said, I'm thankful my two dads are adopting me next week or whatever it was. And the substitute teacher said, that's not something to be thankful for, right? And so there were these two young girls in the classroom community who felt like they had to stand up for him and say, I don't like what you're saying, substitute teacher, you know, and went to the principal about it. And so I, I think that in situations like that, you're asking other kids to stand up for themselves. Like, why isn't the teacher, the person who's in the position of power in that classroom, the one who is, is thinking about what she's saying, as opposed to the kids responding, right? And so we want our pre-service teachers to understand the power that they have and that they can make these important decisions about curricular choice. And so I think that in addition to that, we've just put so much on our teachers, especially in elementary school, we're sucking up all of their time and telling them that only um, reading and math are important. And so 
they're looking for the quickest thing in social studies, right? That they can just sort of run off and give their kids because they have 20 minutes once a week or whatever it is. But I think through this process, in addition to having them critique resources or sites of curriculum sharing, what it's helping them do is understand that there are some inadvertent social studies lessons going on all the time, no matter what content you're teaching. And so as I've used this tool in my class, that's sort of what we're finding out. We're finding all of the hidden social studies that happen in the classroom. So how did your lesson go with the students after you talked about your uh, your checklist in the QU wedding? So I've used it a couple times with my um, methods students so far. And I'll say that it went really well. The students, for the most part, were able to discern lessons that they at first might have, might have gravitated towards, but found some problems with them. However, we would argue, and, and we do in the article, that the checklist is not, cannot, you know, be put in place and put into action in place of some sort of really robust justice-oriented framework that they're using. And so, you know, if you're asking students, are the representations of the people authentic, they need to know what authenticity looks like. And so it's, it's, it definitely requires some background work to be done to be thinking about perspective and multiculturalism before they can really, I think, engage in it in a powerful and meaningful way with, with interest. So I agree with Jenny in that I don't use this checklist or this tool to critique online resources until we've had a lot of conversation and experience unpacking all of the terms that we use in the checklist. What does it mean to be credi- credible? Um, What is inquiry? What is critical thinking? What does it mean to be a window into a new culture? And so for each one of these items on the checklist, for each one of these items on the checklist, I feel like there are readings and conversations to be had so that we can unpack all of the language before we ask them to use the tool. I really appreciate it. Again, the sections in this, if you're to use this, are attributing a purpose uh, then section two is reliability assessment, and section three is judging the perspective. And I feel like that pausing um, does a lot of things. It's, it makes it makes you rethink curricular decisions, but it also, I think, can help people question, stop and think about their own positionality, right? I mean, because it seems like in many of these cases, when you're choosing inappropriate lessons, it's partially because your experiences, you may be privileged in whatever area that is, um, whether it's racially you know, um, being able-bodied, being um, your gender, your sexual orientation, whatever it is, you don't think through the same issues as someone else may think through. And then you use this because you think it's cute. But I don't know. I've thought, I just watched the Mr. Rogers movie and documentary. I had to watch them both. And I thought about how one of his big things was like talking about serious issues with kids. And I want more teachers to think like that. Like we can confront serious issues in a way that's appropriate for kids. And I think this helps make sure that they're doing that. So that's really cool resource you all put together. Thank you. Thank you. So, and another use we we think, we hope um, it'll have for teams of teachers in elementary schools are those teachers that are really afraid to speak up when their team of teachers is maybe doing a QU wedding or doing something else that they found off interested teachers, pay teachers that is potentially problematic. We hope that the tool can be a resource to, to kind of, navigate those conversations, those difficult conversations with team members when you want to speak up to try to steer steer your team in a new direction. That's great. That's one thing, that's one thing I started doing last semester because I ask my pre-service teachers at the beginning of the semester what their greatest hopes are. 
and then in regard to teaching and what their greatest fears are. And I will tell you, they are afraid of power. They're afraid of parents and they're afraid of administrators and they're afraid of veteran teachers on their team as a new teacher trying to teach in critical ways or trying to teach this way. And so we sort of have mock conversations where I'll come to them and pretend to be, you know, I'll take on the role as their third grade team leader and say, here's this great Thanksgiving activity. And so I give them an opportunity to talk with each other about how to respond to that in a respectful way, but also in a way that advocates for good social studies teaching and advocating for their students. And so they get some experience with that because I feel like if we can't have those, those are real fears that they have. And so if we can't have those conversations at the pre-service teacher level, they're not going to do it, you know, when they get into the field. They think that as a new teacher, they don't want to step on anybody's toes. And so I think that they appreciate having this tool to say, you know, this is just good research. You know, this is good practice. And so let's use this with one of our activities that you guys have always done. And let's see how we can change it and, and make it better for our students. I hope that our pins will be better. And so this way we can still pin with pause, but we can pin and there'll be better stuff pinned. Am I getting the Pinterest stuff right? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I have no, that's that's I know right. I think that there's some advocacy work we can do. So one of the things I'm doing with my pre-service teachers is having them do their journey boxes on Pinterest this year so that they're actually making sure more um, and better social studies is on those sites to advocate for more justice-oriented topics and, and curriculum resources. So there's more on there for people to choose from that's good. Ooh, that's cool. And we'll have to talk about journey boxes later. For people that don't know, it's a came out of University of Texas, and essentially it's a the way we do it at at UNT. We do journey boxes with our elementary teachers. You use you have little narratives, and then you have primary sources, and students explore through primary sources like a topic. So that's kind of the way we've done it. We've used Adobe Spark and other places. They come out incredible. I'm like always pretty amazed. But they they you know turn students into curious kind of historians, right? They they look through the sources and try to make sense of them before you give them secondary sources. Um, although you can do them in tandem. But that's, I don't know if that's a, a good a explanation for Journey Boxes for how you all do it. That's, that's how we've been doing it. I think the Journey Box has taken on lots of different iterations. And I think if you're doing it at all, it's awesome. So I hope that the um, pinning with pause catches on as well, because this is the first semester I'm going to do it as an assignment with my students. And so we're going to sort of do one together using the tool in class. And then I'm going to ask them to pair up and, and find a, a resource that they think is cute or, or something that they think they might pull off of Pinterest or teachers pay teachers and have them go through this. And then I think if we share that in our classroom community, that maybe it will become more of a habit, you know, for them to, to pause and think about these things before they just pull a resource offline and throw it at their student. Well, I like those ideas. I might think about seeing if we can post ours on Pinterest. I hadn't thought of that, and that's a great idea. So, Jennifer and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. This is exciting. Where can our listeners find you and your work online besides Pinterest? Well, I'm working on my ResearchGate site. I um, have realized that that's a, a nice place to share your work and to find work of other people. And so I haven't really been 
on that platform. And I recently discovered it and decided I need to, to do that. But I'm at Appalachian State University. And so I can be reached by email at bellowsme at appstate.edu. And my Twitter is at Liz Bellows, which I don't spend enough time on, but we'll work on that once I can take a pause from the other things I'm doing. Well, we'll add it on. And then once you have your ResearchGate profile ready to go, send it to us and we'll add it to the show notes. Awesome. And I can also be reached by email at gallagherj17 at ecu.edu. And my Twitter handle is so new that I actually had to grab my phone and look it up really quick. Um, it's at Dr. G Social Ed, and I'm trying to be more, more present on Twitter in a professional capacity. I'm working on that. Well, thank you both for joining us today. We're going to hit up your spanking brand new research gate and Twitter pages and see all the great content you guys are producing there. So uh, we hope to continue these pinning conversations online and in other spaces, maybe even Pinterest. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we should start a critical consumption, you know, or, or, you know, Pinterest site for our elementary social studies folks out there to share so we can actually contribute instead of just pulling stuff off, right? If you want, if you find anyone great who wants to manage our Pinterest page, hit us up. (laughs) That could be an assignment. So at the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to chat and some people just do, hit us up at Visions of Ed. We're also on the Facebook. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. It helps people find this podcast. So we're not just saying that. Please go in there, click five stars, write a review. Come on, you can do it. Also, as we now do, we would like to give more credit to our editor, Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and University of North Texas. Thanks for all your editing of these episodes, Zach. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Until next time, this is the Visions of Education Podcast. So yeah.